Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Well, we're continuing, and in fact, this will be the final, I think, on our series of listening to God. And we're going to be talking today about the department of corrections. Oh, yeah, everybody's favorite. The day in which we find ourselves. Okay, remember that what the Lord shared with us a little over three years ago is that we were entering a time of acceleration. It is a time of accelerating and we are and things are continuing to accelerate. We're going faster and faster and faster toward the end. And if you have ever driven a car, ridden a motorcycle, a bicycle, flown an aircraft, you or even a boat for that matter, you know that the faster you're going, you are going, that the more critical your control is. And that things that you might do, maneuvers you might do, um, you know, at a slower speed, you wouldn't dare try those at 85 miles an hour. Even on the aircraft I fly even have has, you know, when you look at the airspeed indicator, it's even got a red arc on it. And that is that you are not, that's VNE, you are not to go in that take the aircraft into that area below that is a yellow arc which if you're in that it's okay as long as you're flying straight and level but don't try any uh, abrupt maneuvers because the airframe may not be strong enough to handle it and we I, I, I said all that to say this we have been for the most of my life in a time when you know you could kind of stir things with your finger you could kind of be casual about your faith, casual about your service of the Lord. But we are in a day now that that is becoming less and less and less and less true. We must be doers of the word. And when we talk about divine guidance, one of the things that we need to understand is that the Lord will correct us. Everybody say amen. amen. How many of you want to be corrected? Amen. I do. I do. Psalm 37 verses 23 and 24 says the steps of a man are established by Yahweh and he delights in his way. Isn't it nice to know that the Lord delights over you? He delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because Yahweh is the one who holds his hand. Notice it is the word when and not the word if. Because we all mess up. We all err. Everyone stumbles. Everyone misses it. Everyone, you know, goofs it up at, you know, some one time or another. In fact, one of my professors in seminary, a flaming Methodist, used to say something. He was the most quotable man I've ever met in my life. And one of his favorite things to say was that Christianity is a virtually unlimited series of fresh starts. How many of you are grateful for that? God holds our hand, meaning that he guides and instructs us. Proverbs 3.12, for whom Yahweh loves, he reproves. By the way, that word reprove can be rebuke or reprimand. can be translated equally that way. Even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. 
and he scourges every son whom he receives. One of the things that I'm having to deal with in my grandson is to get him to believe me when I tell him I want him to do something. Come down off of the bed. It's time to put your PJs on or whatever. And to get him to not think that I am going to tell him three or four times before he finally must comply. You know, so many people, we train our kids to respond only when we shout at them. God often will not shout at us. He will speak to us and expect us to respond. Everybody with me here? You know, it, you know, it's, it, it, well, I'll, you know, Jude 24 says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Why does he correct us? So that we will not stumble. He corrects us to keep our fat, so to speak, out of the fire. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. Now, for everyone who is waiting on an epiphany, they're waiting on the Lord to appear to them in a dream and say, you start tithing or stop stealing or, you know, start obeying the speed limit or whatever. I'm meddling here. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, everybody say scripture, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. This is the NIV. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Proceeding right from the mouth of God himself. Whenever I read scripture, I need to understand God is talking to me. I don't read scripture and say, you know what? I know somebody who needs this. Well, guess what? The very fact that you know somebody that needs it means maybe you ought to take a look yourself. Amen. And the word the, uh, theopnistos there, pneuma, you know, means that the spirit, where he says God breathed, it means that the spirit is the, the way that our father will communicate with us. It is profitable. The word is profitable. It's, this is so good for teaching good doctrine, understanding true reality, the word of truth. Remember that the word aletheia that is translated um, truth also means real. What's real? A lot of people run around doing stuff that they think's real, but it's a myth. And it will blow up. Why? Because as it goes faster and faster and faster, they won't be able to steer. Rebuking, to censure, to reprimand, to chide or reprove. Correction, to straighten out, to make right uh, from wrong and to restore something that is right. Training, discipline, chastisement, regulation and control. Wow. Just try doing any of those things in most North American churches today and see how far you fly. This is the kind of preaching that would empty a church out in the last 20 years. All right. And has successfully done so. But it's a rebuke. When the Lord rebukes us, it's a rebuke of love. I've been rebuked by the Lord. I know people that you know think that he wouldn't, but I assure you he does. And I've been on the business end of that. And so I am well acquainted with it. Hebrews 12, 5 says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked 
reprimanded, reproved by him. Notice, again, you know, that we're, when we're talking about training, you know, regard the discipline of the Lord, the training of the Lord, that that shows up again. And he says, do not um, take lightly. In other words, don't blow it off. We have made in so many lives, we have made obedience to God's word optional. And it's not. I saw a sign on front of a church one day that said, they're the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. You know, and that is absolutely the truth. And, it, you know, would, why would it be likely that the Holy Spirit would inspire the author of Hebrews, whom I believe to be Paul, but the author of Hebrews in any event, to write this? Anything, anything God would say would be precious, right? Anything God says, well, we'll be quick to do it. We'll adjust our lives in, in, uh, appropriately, right? Well, maybe not. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this very week, and he said something that, you know, uh, that really, I, I thought, man, that's good. And he said, I've got people in my church who come to church, and they're good folks, he said, but they've got all kinds of stuff going on in their lives. And they and so they, they asked me, what, what, what do I what do I do? And he said, I'll give them the scripture. OK, you need to do this, this, this and this. And then they don't do it. And he said, and I watched that over and over. And he said, it's just such a mystery to me. And he said, I was pondering that. And he said, the Lord spoke to me as clearly as he ever has. And he says, you're treating them like they're disciples, but they are not. You can be a believer without being a disciple. You can be a Christian and headed for heaven because of what Jesus did for you, but not be a disciple. What's the, you know, and we're going to talk about this. Or you've heard me talk about it. Uh, you know, the, the, there are 10 virgins. Remember that Matthew chapter 25 is a continuation of Matthew chapter 24, which is about the last days, the end times, the things that are going to happen. And then he picks up with the judgment. And he says there were 10, and he gave the illustration, Matthew 25 and 1 and following, about 10 virgins, and they were waiting for the bridegroom. Some of the, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Now, it doesn't say five of them were wise and five of them were fools. For the fool says in his or her heart, there is no God. But you can be foolish without being a fool. How many of you follow me? All right. And so we had five who didn't have enough oil in their lamps. Oil is generally, and I believe also in this case, representative of the anointing of the spirit, the things that are going on. And they were directly responsible for how much oil was in their lamps. So what we have is we have five and they were all virgins. They're all represented as being righteous. They haven't worshiped another God. And you know, because it's you, Jesus uses that uh, term that way here in Matthew, it's used that way a lot over in Revelation. And so what we have is five who were not who were behaving foolishly in their lives. And when we issue, there's a good word. I haven't used that one in a long time. When we reject, we, we don't do 
we forget or we just decide not to do the word of God. We know what it is and we don't do it or we, uh, we know the right thing to do and don't do it or we're doing something that we know we need to stop and we don't, etc. That's foolish. It's foolish. And so the bride and they said, uh, our lamps are going out. And they said, give us some of your oil. They said, no, we can't do that because there won't be enough for you, us and you too. go. And so they had to go to the dealers and buy. That shows up again also in in Revelation. And while they were gone trying to get caught up, the bridegroom came and they came and knocked on the door after the door had been shut for the feast. The wedding supper of the lamb. And they said, let us in. And the master of the feast says, and this is the way it's translated in English, is I do not know you. Now, again, these people are not these five virgins. And it doesn't just mean women. It means those who have not bowed their knee to a foreign God. They have believing loyalty in Jesus. It's just their lives were a mess. And he says, I do not know you. The word translated know is the word for perceive. And the grammatic construction would lead me to put it colloquially into English today would be thus. Your name is not on the guest list. So many people think we're all going to sit down to the wedding supper of the Lamb. But Jesus clearly says that's not true. And not everybody who goes to heaven is going to receive a reward. Is heaven better than hell? By a country mile, as I used to say when I was growing up. But I don't want to get to heaven and stand before the Bema, the, 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 the judgment seat of God, and have him look at me and say, what were you thinking? What is up? Or worse, nice try. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. In other words, when I'm corrected to get upset, to get discouraged and to say, I'm here to, you know, uh, everybody, everybody love, everybody loves me. Wave at me. OK. All right. I'm going to turn around and get it on. This is my campaign hat. For those of you who wonder what that is, that is a Smokey the Bear hat worn by drill sergeants and highway patrolmen. <laughs> All right. And I'm pretty sure there are some XDIs that are out there in uh, highway patrol cars. But um, he you know, uh, look at this. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline. How much discipline? All. For the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Everybody say sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Sorrowful. The word lupe there in the Greek means grief. Grief. Yep. The scripture says that on occasion, God will give me grief. If you'll listen to me, those of you listening, watching my web, if you'll listen to me and other people who are saying the same thing, Five years from now, you're going to be in a whole lot better position than the people who didn't. In fact, I'll go on on a limb and say one year from now, because between now and the end of the year, a lot's going to happen. A lot has already happened. Ask the people in Europe. The fact is, in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight and nine, this is from the NAS. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, that's the same word. 
Though I caused you grief by my letter, I do not regret it, even though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you grief, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made, you were, you were grieving, but that you grieved to the point of what? Repentance. Yes, there's another word that's not used in a lot of Christian circles today. Repentance. For you were made, you were grieved, made sorrowful according to the will of God. Look at this. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. In other words, I'm correcting you so that life doesn't rise up at some point in the future and bite you hard. How many of you know that the school of hard knocks is usually an effective teacher, but it's so much easier to go around the landmines. Amen. You know, and you know, there are people who just don't believe that God would rebuke them, but it's for our benefit that he would do so. That he would correct us. The Spirit Himself is the one who does this. Everybody say amen. The Holy Spirit can at times deal with us quite directly. You know, sometimes it can be a rebuke. I've had the Lord speak sternly to me on more than one occasion. The one that is probably the most famous is very early in the life of this church and in my ministry. We had been here for, I don't know, maybe couple of years. Let's see, we started the church in what, 90, uh, no, 85. And um, we started the church in 85. And I graduated with my doctorate 10 years later in 95. And we were still meeting, well, and we were, it was nine years and we uh, had purchased sometime along the way about uh, this land. And, you know, things were, we were still over in rented quarters. We were still in a place where the roof leaked like a sieve every time it rained. And things were just, you know, and you sit and you listen to all these stories of guys talking about how they, you know, their congregation shot up. You know, they started with 12 and then they went to 50 and then they went to 100. Then they went to 200 and they went to 500. And they, now they're running 2,500 people and everything. And Bruce Black came and told it. He said, you know those stories you hear about that? He said, we travel and I'm here to tell you that is exactly what they are. Stories. And I went, ah. Because I just really felt like I was falling behind. But I was talking to a good friend of mine. I was getting ready to graduate. You know, I was still working on it. And he said to me on the phone, he said, well, after you finish, you know, your doctorate, you'll probably take a much, you know, larger church or go into academia or something like that. Spread your wings and fly. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going. To. And I hung up the phone from talking to Jerry, went next door to the youth, which was meeting in the suite next to us because it was a Thursday and the night before had been youth night and they had popcorn. <laughs> and so being the spiritual man that I am and knowing that that popcorn had been blessed and it was blessed popcorn and they cast all the calories out. I was next door and I opened the popcorn uh, doors of the popcorn machine and was scooping some out for myself. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit behind me say in no uncertain terms. And I quote, you'll leave when I tell you to and not one minute before. 
That makes you want to snap to attention, pop a salute and say, sir, yes, sir. And I mean, he told me, he, he gave me, what was it, you know, told me how the cow ate the cabbage, as we used to say in Oklahoma. And he, he rebuked me. He reproved me. He corrected me. And yet, I, I didn't crumple under the ground and go, oh, please forgive me, Lord. I mean, I'm not saying that that wouldn't be, in some cases, appropriate. But all I could tell you... I, it hit me so hard that all I wanted to do was say, hit me again. Because I knew the rebuke was love. John 16, 12 through 15. If we read carefully, we can see who really spoke to me that day. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That doesn't mean you can't. You can't. It's, it's, it'll crush you. It means you can't fully understand them because you haven't been born again. Literally, the word bear means to carry. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, as I said, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So when I heard those words, you'll leave when I tell you to, and not one minute before. That was the head of the church, Jesus of Nazareth, speaking to me, an underling, a member of the body, through. His spirit. Everybody say amen. Turn to somebody and say, isn't God good? Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. And they were bringing the... Now somebody, why? What was, what, but Jesus, somebody, the way people portrayed Jesus, it's like he wasn't even human. You know, he was, he, he, you know, he was kind of like, again, I'm going to use a cultural reference that many of you probably won't understand, but he was like Wally Cox with a beard. <laughs> How many of you remember Wally Cox? It was a little act. He was a comedian and a comedic actor and he was small and he was very, he was short and very spindly framed. It wasn't much to him and everything. And he was always sheepish, played sheepish characters. I don't know why he's like in real life, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know, and they were bringing Mark 10 and 13 again. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. What does indignance mean? He raised his voice. What are you doing? Stop it. Ah, I'm sure it got their attention when the son of God says, Raises his voice and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Man, I, whew, man, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've, I heard one man of God talking about how he was having a conversation with Jesus about Jesus was telling him something and. He was responding to Jesus about how, no, Lord, you're wrong about this because I did what you said and I'm like this. And finally he said, 
Jesus looked at me the third time and said, I said he would. Just like that. And he said, when he said that, it looked like fire shot out of his eyes about that far. And he said, yep, I guess it'll work. <laughs> and it did. But you know what? If that's what we're waiting on, is Jesus to appear to us and fire to shoot out of his eyes, we're probably going to wipe out long before then because we haven't been taking his word as serious. Or seriously. <clears throat> we see in the word that the Holy Spirit, what we just read it, he will bring to remembrance his things and the things that God says. And when God says, deal with that, act on it. You know, if we're waiting for a Damascus Road experience, when I was finishing Bible college and thought, you know what, I've had all the ministry I really want. Yeah, I know it sounds like God has nailed my foot to the floor. But I'm here to tell you, being in the ministry, not so much now, but earlier on, was me picking up my cross daily and carrying it because I really, 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 really wanted to do something else. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that occasionally the Lord had to go and kind of yank me back. I know that that's never happened to any of you. And he had to, you know, show me in no uncertain terms. You know, I was waiting, you know, I had friends who were saying, man, are you sure you're going, you're going to go in the Navy? I said, yeah, I'm going to fly F-14. It's going to mock three, hair on fire, turn and burn. We're, it's going to be great. And I had two or three friends going, man, I just don't have a good feeling about that. Everything I'm like, you shut up. <laughs> and I'm waiting for this Damascus Road experience, but it never came. What I got was the knowing that I know that I know in my heart of hearts. And that is why it is imperative that we be worshipers. That is why it is imperative we feed our faith on the scripture every day. So our hearts are tender toward him and that we will, it may take a little while, but we will come around and be obedient. Everybody say amen, it's true. And in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, or excuse me, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 2 it says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. This is what preachers are supposed to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But if I do that, everybody will leave and not come back. Well, those who aren't serious will. Amen. You know, if you're going into a war and you know you're going to go into a war, do you want to settle... For just going through, when, when, when I joined the army, we went through a place called Reception Station. Remember that, Troy? Remember Reception? Randy, and I'm sure Arnie does. Sarge back there, he remembers it. That's where they cut off your hair, gave you a really drab wardrobe that smelled like mothballs, and got you more or less, you know, uh, outfitted for what was going to be happening to you for the next several months into years. Then from reception, you went to basic. And it was called basic combat training because we shot our guns and threw, fired light anti-tank weapons and threw grenades and did all that kind of stuff. How many of you think, if you know you're going to war, I mean, you know, there is a war on and you're going. How many of you think, Oh, you know what? I don't need to go to basic. I'll just go to reception station, get the clothes and go. 
You're going to die quickly. No, I, I want to go to basic and learn a way around. And so then if they say, well, we have advanced individual training. Aaron's been through it. First, Aaron went to, uh, did you go to jump school before or after AIT? After, yeah. And you go to AIT, advanced individual infantry AIT. And there you learn a lot more. You learn a, more, a lot more about weapons. You learn a lot more about tactics. You learn a lot more about communication and all that. And how to shoot even cooler stuff. I remember talking to him. He called me, you know, from Benning. And he was saying, I fired this. I shot the M60. I shot this. I shot that. I blew this up. And Claymore might. All this kind of stuff. And I said, man, it sounds like you're having fun. And his next line will stay with me for the rest of my life. He said, well, Dad, you know how it is. The Army can take something that should be fun and turn it into work. <laughs> and it is the truth. And then if I'm getting out of my infantry IT and they say, you know, by the way, and I know I'm going to war. I know it. Would you like to do some extra training for you know, like uh, rangers or something like that. Yes. And then when you get done with rangers, would you like to do more training for like special forces, special operations? Yes. Would you like to do even more to perhaps qualify for like Delta? You know, yes. Why? Because the more I know and the better and the, and the better trained I am, the better shot I have at not only being effective, but coming home. And that is exactly what God is doing. We have been preparing for the next few years for 20 years. We've, God's been getting us ready. He spoke to me in 2002 and said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. People who are nibbling at the edges. They are believers, but they are not disciples. Second Timothy 3 and 4. 4, 3, and 4 says this. For the time will come when they will not endure, they will not accept sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. That was never possible. It, 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 I mean, when it says accumulate, literally it means heap up. And it's even translated that way in the King James. And that wasn't even possible before. It, it, in the, the hyperbole that he uses here, it wasn't even possible before the internet. Now you can go out on YouTube and find anything you want. And turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to narratives. How many of you know we got a narrative going out there? And we're being lied to daily. And we've got this narrative thing going out there and, it's, and there's little sprinkled bits of truth in it. Just enough to, you know, biblical preaching. You know, what does he say? Preach what? Preach the word. He said earlier, preach the word in verse 2. He said, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Tell them the truth. Don't, you know, we've, you know, today we have people who give motivational speeches and call it Bible. I give a TED talk and call it the Bible. We have uh, both in Judaism and in Christianity, people who are not just excusing homosexuality, they're celebrating it. And is that, is that the unpardonable sin? The answer is no, it's certainly not. But it is an open door to the enemy to come in and hold high carnival in the lives of these people. 
And you can, you can always, and today in the, in the church in North America, you can find somebody who will tell you that your sin is okay. That you were made that way. Oh, go ahead and drink that bottle of Drano. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, wait a minute. You're going out the door. You're, we're at 12,000 feet. Don't you think you ought to wear a parachute? I don't believe in that. I believe it's okay. All right. Yeah. Knock yourself out. It's all good. <laughs> Titus chapter, um, let's see, did I, yeah, two, or one in verse 14. He's, you know, when he talk, says that Cretans are lazy gluttons and liars and everything like that. He said one of their own, a poet of their own. And he says that. And then he says in the very next verse, this testimony is true. So for this reason, rebuke them, reprove them, correct them, reprimand them severely so they may be sound in the faith. I want you to understand. I want you to, to misunderstand what I'm saying. God's not mad at anybody. He's certainly not mad at any of us. But as we go forward and things get, one of the things that you've heard me say this probably, I don't know, 150, 200 times in the last 30 years. And that is that when I first got born again, it just seemed like the road was, it seemed like it was easy to walk with God and, and that it was just, just a real flow. And then as I've walked with him through the years, the way seems to get narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And I've just come, you know, a few years back to realize no, dude, it's always been that narrow. But your father has just been so good to you. When I was a baby and I'd have a mouthful of food and go like that and spit it all over that like that. My parents wouldn't yank me up straight because I was a baby. Do that at age 15. pastor friend of mine many, many years ago, back to when I was first filled with the Spirit, said, you know, God understands that when we're, we're, when we are young, infant, you know, Paul used the word infants, napioi, babes, um, you know, that we need the bottle with the milk. But when you have to start parting the whiskers to get it in, something's wrong. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. I love this verse. For the grace of God has appeared. There's grace. What's the grace of God doing? Coming to make us feel all better about ourselves. That's not what it says here. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. This is from the ESV. All for all people. Doesn't mean everybody accepts it, but it's available. Training us. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That would be to reject them. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Have you ever felt like giving somebody a piece of your mind? My mom used to tell me to keep all I had because I was kind of short anyway. <laughs> but you know what that means? That's, a, that's an English, that's an American idiom. It's a colloquialism for tell them off. Just read them the riot act. Well, would that be self-control? Somebody cuts you off in traffic and then gives you the one finger salute. And you pull up beside them. What are you supposed to do? You give them what for, right? No, when scripture says blow them a kiss. Actually, it doesn't say that. Self-control. Everybody say self-control. 
It says, upright and godly lives in the present age. Not in heaven now. Waiting for our blessed hope, our confidence, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. And that doesn't just mean external lawlessness coming on us. It means lawlessness within ourselves. And to purify, because here's the rest of it, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for what? Sitting around, let somebody else do it for him. No, good works. Amen. Pastor, I'm pretty sure that, you know, it's going to take two earthquake cakes to heal me from this morning's message. I'm happy to tell you they are available. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. I know I'm using a lot of scripture today, but that's okay. It says, now rejoice. I rejoice. We read it a minute ago. I rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance so that you might you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss or anything through us. By the second or third time I catch my child or my grandchild trying to stick a knife in the electrical socket just to see what happens. And I jerk them up and I give them, I do not spare the rod, but give them a hide tanning, whooping, spanking, blistering. Anybody's parents around, I'm going to blister your rear. My mom used to say, my dad one time, several times said, I'll beat your tail till your nose bleeds. I'm sure the counselors would faint dead away. And they, I, I, you know, no, shouldn't have done that. But anyway, it, it marked me for life. The fact is, that I'm going to discipline that child. Why? Because I don't want him or her. I want them to know seriously, this is not a good thing. When I tell, it's like I talked about uh, a little while ago. I'm training him. And we're fighting this battle now, not when they're 15. Saying, you will, when I tell you something, you'll do it then. You're not going to wait, make me say, Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. The first stop it should be enough. Because I'm not sure God will shout at us. In fact, I know he won't. Everybody loves me. Amen. Redeem us. Not suffer loss. Because sin brings loss, heartache, mourning, suffering, and pain. This is the sorrow of the world and it produces death. Not, not mourning the offense, but the loss. The grief of God that God gives us produces in us repentance, a change. You know what? I don't think I'm going to stick that knife in there or try to stick that knife in there because Papa's pretty, pretty serious about it. Mom and dad. Repentance isn't a bad word. It is the correct response to correction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Amen. And, you, you know, uh, if, we, if we're not genuinely, if we, if we, you talk about grieving, 
you know, the Lord grieves us, but you know, it says, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Man, I don't want to be there. First Timothy 1 and 20. Among the, you know, well, actually coming back to First Timothy 9, uh, uh, 1 and 19. Keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. We talked about the conscience last week. First Timothy 1 and 20. Among these, the very next verse, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Whoa. You don't want your drill sergeant sending you to motivation platoon. Because those people are mean. Even that is redemptive. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 31 and 32. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, that we will not be damned, and that's what that word means right there, along with the world. What does it say when in the last days the angel has to cry out to the church and say, come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of her, that you may not partake of her sins and her punishments. God doesn't denigrate us. He doesn't castigate. He doesn't insult he doesn't abuse or slight us. He didn't say, hey, idiot. Because I'm not an idiot. Let's all say that together. I am not an idiot. You have, why? How do I know I'm not an idiot? Because of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says that Christ Jesus has been made unto me wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I know I'm not an idiot. I might be God's slow child in some areas. First, you know, and in second, uh, uh, second Timothy chapter uh, four and verse two, he says to rebuke, reprove, report, exhort rather with all with great patience and instructions. Paul's frame of reference for Timothy was for the last days because smooth talkers and deceivers, Virgil, verbal magicians, and, and uh, if our musicians would come and um, spin doctors will grow worse and worse. Christians even running after someone to tell them that what they want to hear. But we want to bear the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I want you to think about this. We talk about harvest. We talk about revival and we talk about harvest. When people begin to cry out for, for God, and they will. When people begin to uh, cry out for God, is Jesus going to appear to them? Well, not maybe in an Arab country where they don't have access to preaching. That's been happening. Iranians are having dreams and uh, others have been seeing Jesus. But here or other places where, they're, where the church is represented, it's probably going to be more like, not probably, it is going to be more like Cornelius. When he says, send to Joppa, to the house of Simon who lives by the sea, and ask for a man named Simon who is also called Peter, and he will speak to you words by which you must be saved. God's going to use us. That's who God will use. He'll use us.
That's why we've been training. We're his boots on the ground. We're his troops. We're the ones that God will use. That's what he's been doing. Because, and we need to be in position. I remember the story about a guy in England telling us, uh, he was an English preacher. This is back in the uh, uh, 1800s. They had a big, some sort of metal, I don't know if it was a foundry, I don't know if they were, it was like they were pouring molten metal or what it was, but there was an industrial accident. And this man was horribly uh, injured and was die dying. Uh, I mean, there was, there was, it was enough that there was no way. And you got to remember, they didn't have ambulances and all that kind of stuff back then the way we do today. And um, he's, he was lying there. This evangelist told, told the story that a friend of his was there. And he said, this guy is saying, you know, I'm dying. Somebody tell me how to die. Somebody, how do I get a hold of God? And he's crying out for that. And he said all the men were standing around him and their lives that they were living were so pathetic that none of them, they all felt like they would be hypocrites if they would speak up. Well, you know what? Be a hypocrite in a situation like that in the eyes of others and tell them about Jesus. And even if the other guys stand around. I remember when uh, Dave Reaver used to tell the story. He was a SEAL in uh, in uh, Vietnam, and he beached his PBR, and he pulled the the uh, pulled the, uh, the phos white phosphorus a Willie Peter grenade, and he held it. This is the proper throwing thing, and as he he had it back by his ear, and a sniper's bullet went right through it, and the white phosphorus just exploded all over his face. And then they opened fire and hit the boat. He fell out of the boat into the water. The boat sank on him. And he's lying there and he says, Lord, I, you know, this is it. You know, if you want me to, to preach, you're going to have to get me out of this. And he said the boat just miraculously moved over. And he broached the surface of the water. And he said, when I did, I screamed, God, I still believe in you. And he said, when I did that, one of my teammates hit his knees on the beach and gave his heart to Jesus right there. But he said, the reason he did that was because I'd been telling them about Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't trying to stuff it down the throat, but I'd live a godly life. And military guys are usually a pretty rough bunch. And he said, they used to give him all kinds of grief about his faith. And he said, after the firefight was over, they drug his, what they thought was his body. They thought he was dead. Because... He was breathing through a hole in his chest where the white phosphorus had burned through. And in fact, they put him on a, a helicopter and flying him back. They were, he was headed for a body bag. And he said, you know what? I need to tell them that I'm alive. Or they're just going to zip me up and that's going to be the end of it. So he said he took this one good finger. These were all burned up. And he took the one good finger and stuck it in his, the hole and went, medic. And he said, that guy almost fell out of that helicopter. <laughs> that body is talking. But he said when they drug him up on the beach and they all were standing around him and they thought he was dead. He said, those guys started saying the nicest things about me. And he said, I wanted to tell him I was still alive, but I was afraid then they would kill me. <laughs> you know what? Our lives, even if it doesn't look like you're having an impact. The Holy Spirit can reach places you can't. He can reach into them and touch them 
in ways you can't. And he will do that. But he needs us to be sensitive. He needs us to be willing to be corrected. He needs us to be willing to respond. Because we all know that little children who blow off their parents, who ignore their parents and continue to do so, and their parents never deal with it, grow up having that same attitude toward most authority. Amen. And then the day comes when it's critical to listen because you're running out into traffic and your mom says, stop, stop, stop. And you're like, yeah. And whose fault is that? It's mine. It's not my mom's because I've trained myself to ignore her voice. I've trained myself to ignore the scripture. I've trained myself to ignore the correction that the Lord um, has been with which he has been dealing with me. We are called. We are anointed. We are appointed to shine brightly in the midst of the darkness. Not to shine dimly, although that would be better than nothing, but to shine brightly. We are called to be upright in the midst of a perverse generation because in you is an excellent spirit and that spirit is strength for weakness it is strength it is healing for moral as well as physical healing and drawing people to him why does our father correct us because he is a good good father amen, amen? and you'll be amazed how if we'll be attentive to the scripture how much easier that makes hearing the voice of the Lord and you may go through your entire life and never have a spectacular manifestation of the spirit you may not but you don't need it if it doesn't happen you don't need it and by the way Every time I've had a spectacular manifestation of the Spirit, I needed it. When God gave me guidance that was well stronger than usual, it's because I was the, the, the winds were about to blow. Batten down the hatches, secure all watertight doors, rig for depth charge. Amen. God loves us so much. He refuses to leave us in the mess he found us. Yes. Those of you watching by web, I realize I've undoubtedly challenged you today. I've challenged the people here. I can tell you that the people of ICC love me and they're really glad I don't preach like this every single Sunday. But once in a while, we need to be reminded of whose we are, not just who we are. And if you do not belong to Jesus, if you're not a born again Christian, I assure you, you are not headed for a destiny that is, that is good. You don't even know the meaning of the word grief yet. But by coming to Jesus, you can make heaven your home in eternity. How do you do that? The scripture just says that you would accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. 
It says over in Romans chapter 10 that you believe with your heart and you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. And you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. This isn't a formula. This is a commitment. Count the cost. Because we're talking about life-changing lifestyle. Yes, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I wouldn't go back for all for, for the whole world. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth said he'd rather have the anointing of God on him for five minutes than to have the world with a fence around it. Those who know him, know, know Jesus, know exactly what he meant. Because there is no joy like the joy our God will give us. Because he is a good, good father. Christian, if you're stirring it with your finger, if you're not committed, if you're not in, if you're not doing the things the scripture says to do, if you're not a disciple, now's the time. Do not wait. The hour is late. And the Lord has shown me in no uncertain terms that those who are not serious and who are really not trying to track as close to Jesus as they can, that in the days ahead, and forgive my rather blunt way of saying it, are going to get creamed. And I don't want you or anyone to be in that group. Because God has made a way for us to walk in victory. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, ICCFamily, all one word, Dot org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.